listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. The longer, the longer that I'm a pastor, and the more I study scripture, and the more I pay attention to scripture and talk about scripture, I realize that I have um, an incredibly limited view of scripture. Really, really limited view. I have a really, really limited view of of what's happening in Scripture and what I think God can do in Scripture. And what I find is that I find I have, or I see in Scripture, all these half stories. Like these, these half stories that, that, that hold tension, that really have no ending. Um, and then because I read that and have these limited views of Scripture, and because I see all these half stories that I feel like have no endings um, in my own life, and the life that I'm living, and the life I'm living with God, I have a bit of a limited view of God. And, and yeah, I know that God is sovereign, but is God really going to work in my life? Um, or is God just going to leave me with a half story? Anybody else ever feel like that? Feel that way? It's nice not to be alone. It's good. Take this half story. I read this half story, or I read this story, which feels like a half story. I want to read it, or I want to talk to you guys about it. It's Genesis chapter 13. And it also is in chapter 19. So if you want to bookmark it or do something with it, feel free. But this is what, I read this this week, and it sort of it was disturbing. Uh, it's about two guys. It's about a guy named Abram and a guy named Lot. Okay? Abram and Lot are blessed by God, and they have a ton of land. They have more land than they know what to do with. They have livestock. They have um, people, employees. They have everything that they could ever want. In fact, they have so much uh, stuff. They've been blessed so much that at one point, Lot comes over to Abram and says, Hey, Abram. Uh, we have so much, this land can't even hold it all any longer. Uh, we should probably split up. And Abram goes, you're right, we probably should split up. And so what happens is that Lot goes, all right, I'm going to go to the right, and Abram, you go to the left. And Abram goes, sounds good. So Lot goes to the right, and Abram goes to the left. Abram goes to the left, he becomes Abraham, and he becomes the father of the nation of Israel. Father Abraham had many sons. How many sons had? I'm one of them. So what? So? Come on, people. Thank you. Good. There's some Sunday school folk in here. That's nice to know. Father Abraham, anyway. Yeah, yeah, right. All the rest. I could go on forever if we wanted to. Um, And so, yeah, Father Abraham becomes the nation of Israel. Lot goes the other way. Lot goes to another land. You guys might have heard of this land. Maybe, maybe not. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. How many people have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah before? Okay, so Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the evil land, and God wants to destroy the evil land. But because um, Lot is blessed, he says, Lot, I'm going to give you and your family and all your stuff some time to get out of here. All right? And, and just, just don't turn around. Don't look back. Okay? And so Lot and his whole family and his livestock and everything, they, they leave Sodom and Gomorrah, but, but Lot's wife looks back, and she's killed. So what happens? Lot has all this stuff, but he is left with no heir. And I've talked so much about how if you don't have an heir, you you have nothing, right? An heir is somebody who takes all your land and takes your name and takes all this stuff. And so Lot's daughters are really upset. They're like, you don't have an heir. Uh, What are we going to do? And so what they do is they get Lot really, really drunk. This is, I feel like I say this every week. Like this is a theme, right, in scripture. They get Lot really, really drunk, and then the daughters sleep with Lot. And out of this like illicit, incestuous affair, comes a child, and the child's name is Moab, and Moab becomes a great nation as well. And so you have Moab, which is also a cursed nation, right? Moab is the cursed nation. It's the enemy of Israel. So from these two people that are both blessed that go their separate ways, you have the nation of Israel, and you have this cursed nation that's always at war with Israel that comes from an illicit, incestuous affair, and it's called Moab. 
And this is what happens when we have stories. The story ends there. We don't see that story again anywhere in Genesis. We just know that these two nations exist. And yet, we go through Ruth. And as we go through Ruth, we hear more half stories. In fact, we've been going through this time of Lent where we're like, we're going to confront our dark stories and we're going to write new stories of resurrection. And yet the whole time we've been going through Ruth, we get these little glimpses of hope, but we still see these half stories, these limited views of God. We see Naomi, the the mother-in-law. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, is, you know, her family has died. Everybody has died to the point that she is called bitter, right? She says, call me bitter. That's my new name. And so we've talked a lot about that. We talked about how there, there's these dark times, these half stories. And then we have Ruth, who is from Moab. So she is from that warring, cursed nation. She's from that place. And she comes to Israel, the enemy territory, and she has to beg. Gleaning in the fields means she's, she's begging. And yeah, she gets noticed by Boaz, but she literally takes a life and death risk, a life or death risk, by deciding to sleep with Boaz and asking for him to marry her. Right? So we get these half stories, these limited stories, and we wonder, we wonder, is there anything that's going to be redeemed out of this? Does this get redeemed? And in our own stories, I've talked to so many of you who are like, yeah, Jonathan, you've told me to confront my dark stories, and then we write new stories of light and redemption and resurrection, but I don't even know how to begin writing that story. I don't even know how. I get it. I mean, like, like I say it every week, we, like some of us are jobless right now. It's like the most painful thing in the world. It feels awful. Some of us, um, you know, are sick or have family members who are sick and we feel like, are we even going to make it? Are they going to make it? Some of us feel lonely, like just despair lonely and we don't have anybody else around. There are some of us battling addiction. There are some of us whose kids aren't doing well. There are some of us whose spouses aren't, aren't you know, we're not in a good place with our spouse. There's, there's dark stories and you're like, I can only see a limited view. I only see half the story. I only see God at work just a little bit just, and it's not enough because I don't believe my God is sovereign and God can make this story new. I don't think God can make it full or whole. Well, today we get to hear the end of the story. Today we get to hear Ruth, and we get to hear the end of the story of Ruth, and today we get to hear that there is a God who has a God's eye view. We have a pretty limited view of what we can see, right? We can only see so much, but we have a God who goes, (laughs) you only see half the story? I actually see the whole thing, and you're good. That's, we're done, we can sum it up, that's it. Um, But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how we see this this full story. I want to see how God actually has a God's eye view and can see bigger than we can and how our story is not over. Our half story is not finished. And and so what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, something we've been seeing over the past few weeks, and it's about Boaz. And Boaz has been called the kinsman redeemer. Have you guys heard that before, kinsman redeemer? I think some of us have. I'm going to read a couple places where it happens. In chapter 2, it says, The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, he's our close relative, he's our kinsman redeemer. And then in Ruth chapter 3 verse 9, Boaz says, who are you? And Ruth says, I'm your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer, or you are the kinsman redeemer of our family. So what's a kinsman redeemer? What is it? In Jewish law, you had a system in place that stopped... um, it stopped Israel from becoming the 99% and the 1%. Okay? It stopped there from being like uh, you know, division in class. And this law said that um, when you made a poor decision, a bad financial decision, when you lost land or lost money or lost livestock or whatever it was, <clears throat> after 50 years, you get it all back. 
After 50 years, it all goes back to you. Even though you've lost it, you get a do-over. You get a chance to try this all again with your land. It was called the year of Jubilee. But, um, you know, the year of Jubilee is every 50 years. It's, I mean, it'd be nice for us, right, that our family would get some stuff back. But, but what about in the meantime? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? And so the Jewish law said, well, in the meantime, you can have a kinsman redeemer. That's somebody that's related to you who is willing to buy back your land or buy back your livestock or buy back whatever it is that you have. This person's willing to buy it back for you. They're your kinsman redeemer to make you whole again, to make you right again. Now, there was a clause there. And the clause said that if you were related to this person and you were buying back their stuff, if there was a person, like say a widow or kids or something, that were attached to that land, now they were a part of you too. You would have to marry that widow you became the father uh, to those kids. That's what would happen. So really, the kinsman redeemer stuff was pretty rare. You didn't hear about it all too often because there was a lot attached to it. So there was a lot attached to it for Boaz. Ruth said to Boaz, be my kinsman redeemer. Be my kinsman redeemer, which means buy my land or buy the land of Naomi. You buy that land, and then after you buy that land, not only are you going to have to, like, um, you know, have it and go through that whole process. But now you have to marry me, and I'm a Moabitess, right? And so I'm, I'm an enemy. And, and not only that, but then when we have kids, you have to divide all of that land up and everything that you have. You have to divide it up between me and you and all of our kids. And guess what? Those kids don't even have your name, Boaz, because the law said that, that even though Boaz would be blood, the law said that the kids take the name of the deceased husband. So they would have kids, but they would actually be the kids of Ruth's deceased husband. That's how the law went. So there is a lot at stake here. There is a lot to lose for Boaz. And then I'll throw one more wrinkle into it. Boaz wasn't a, a close relative. He was probably like a, um, like a third cousin twice removed. That's probably what he was. You guys know your third cousin twice removed? How many of you know your third cousin twice removed? Yep, exactly. Zero. None of you. I'm actually Facebook friends with my third cousin, so I win. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, what would happen? What would happen if your third cousin showed up at your door and was like, hey, I'm your third cousin. Um, can I have a couple thousand dollars? You'd be like, get off my porch. Or, get away from my door. Like, you know, this, you, you're not, you know, this isn't something that you necessarily want to do. You wouldn't want to help that person. You had no relationship with him. But Boaz gets to a place where he goes, I think I can do this. I think I can help you. But, hey, hold on. There's actually somebody who's like a second cousin, okay? And they have dibs on being your kinsman and redeemer. Not me. Uh, that second cousin actually has dibs. So there's another kinsman redeemer. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. Take out your iPhones. Go to Ruth chapter 4 um, and follow along with me. I'm going to read Ruth. Uh, I'm going to read where this picks up. So where, where Boaz, he grabs like this second cousin and he goes, Hey, second cousin, you're a kinsman redeemer. Let me tell you about it. And so he says, Naomi has come back from Moab and is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, in the presence of elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And so this like second cousin, this other kinsman redeemer, says, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. A couple funny things about this passage. <clears throat> uh, if you read the Hebrew, this other kinsman redeemer, this like second cousin... His name literally translates to so-and-so. He doesn't even have a name. It's just so-and-so. So you have Boaz, which means strength, and then you have so-and-so. Okay? Um, and so, so so-and-so, you know, what he, what, what, what's he doing? 
he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. This is great. This is great news. I'm a rich man. I have land already. I'm going to have more land now. Uh, this is going to be wonderful. I'll let my livestock go on it. You know, great investment. Great investment. That's what so-and-so is thinking. Okay, but then Boaz comes along and he goes, so-and-so, there's one more thing I got to tell you. Um, he says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. It's the dead man's widow. And in order to maintain the name of the dead, you have to do it with the dead's property. And then so-and-so goes, oh, snap. That's what he says. And he goes, I can't do it. In fact, I'll read what he says. He goes, um, he says, I can't redeem it because this might endanger my own estate. So you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. What's going on here? What's happening? All of a sudden, this goes from a really good investment to a bad investment, to a poor investment, uh, to an investment where he has to marry uh, uh, this Moabitess woman who now he has to split all his stuff with. And who wants to split your stuff with her and whatever kids that you might have? It's now a bad investment. And when we see half a story, when we see limited uh, stories, when we're limited in what we see or what we think God can do, then we pay attention to these, these nameless voices and we make decisions based on whether you are a good or a bad investment. That's what happens. Uh, I, I look pretty young. I'm in my 30s. I look pretty young. Um, when I just graduated college, I looked really young. I looked like I was 12. And um, I went into my first job interview. And I was a teacher, so I was applying to teach. And I walked in, and the woman interviewing me laughed. She laughed at me. And she asked me how old I was. She goes, how old are you? And, uh, and then after about 10 minutes, she said, I don't think you can teach the kind of kids we have at this school. That's what she said. And so yeah, I was embarrassed. I was hurt. I got up. And I was like, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, you don't know me. You know nothing about me. You don't know my passion. You don't know what I know. You don't know my talent. You don't know how I interact with the type of kids you're talking about or whoever you're talking about. You don't know anything about me. This is, this is you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nameless. I'm nameless. You only know half my story, right? You know half my story. I'm, a, I'm just a bad investment to you. That's how I felt. And I, full, I'm, I say that as a white man, Right? Like, that happened to me. And so, and so I can only imagine that there are so many of us in this room right now who have said, you know what? I have been nameless. I have been a bad investment. I have been looked at as a half story. Same thing, Jonathan. I got a job, and they wouldn't even look at me because of my ethnicity. Or I went into this interview, and they wouldn't say anything to me because, you know, of my age or because of this or that. I was a bad investment. I was nameless. They only saw half of my story. They didn't want to see all of me. I went to get a loan, and they looked at a piece of paper and decided I was this kind of person. You know, I had to put my name up or my face up on a dating site, and the vulnerability of that alone was, was terrible. And yet here I am, just half a person, half a story, nameless. I'm a bad investment. That's what it feels like. I'm just a bad investment. When we see limited stories, then we end up being these so-and-sos, saying, like, it's, it's not a person. It's, not, it's, not, it's a bad investment. And then let's not let ourselves off the hook. We do it to others. How many times this week, this week alone, have you looked at somebody on the street, on the subway at your job and said, no, even though I don't know that person, they're a bad investment. Even though I don't know that person, they're going to stay nameless. I see the way they look, and they don't look that well to me or that great to me, and I know half their story, and that's enough. That's all I need to know. Because when we're in our dark stories, we're in dark places, we do what so-and-so does. 
And we say to ourselves, okay, I only get half of this. I only know a little bit. I know that there's this woman, she's a Moabite, and that Deuteronomy 23 says that if I let a Moabite woman into my house, that I'm breaking the law, and that's all I know. So that's it. I'm not even going to find out who she is. She's going to take some of my money. She's nameless. I'm nameless. She's nameless. That's what half stories look like. But like I said, we're telling a full story. We're telling the story of redemption here. We're not telling half stories today. So what's the full story? What does the full story look like? What does redemption look like in this situation? Um, Redemption is in this word. It's in this word and this word only. Redemption comes through God's chesed. Redemption comes through God's chesed. The full story comes through God's chesed. Now, I preached on chesed once before, um, but it was uh, was about nine months ago. It was in the uh, last summer. So, uh, you know, 30% of you forgot it, all right? And then it was in the summer, like I said, so 50% of you weren't even here. So, really what I'm going on is like brand new to 80% of you, so it's great. So anyway, so I'm saying that full redemption, the full story comes from God's hesed. Okay, that's what it comes from. What is God's hesed? What does that mean? It's a Hebrew term. And the best we can translate it is we can translate it into unfailing love. And unfailing love does not even do it justice. It doesn't even do it justice. What is hesed? All right, God is big, right? If you come to this church, you know that every week we pray, God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we believe that. This God is big and infinite. And this God um, it is bound to like no human law, no earthly law, no physical law, nothing. And when people pray, they pray um, Yahweh. They say Yahweh when people pray. And Yahweh, it literally means breath. So they're praying, God, you're so big. You're so everywhere. You're so infinite beyond what I can even imagine that you're in my breath. Yahweh, Yahweh. So this God that's this big, is bound to one law and one law only. And the law that this God is bound to is this. It says, I am bound to a law that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, I love you no matter what. That is said. Hesed says no matter what your dark story looks like, no matter what your half story looks like, no matter how nameless you are, no matter what kind of bad investment you are, Hesed says I am bound to this. I cannot stop doing this. I love you no matter what. That is Hesed. That is redemption. And this gets us closer to a full story because we have a guy named so-and-so who says it's a bad investment. But we have a guy named Boaz whose name means strength. And strength shows us what the full story looks like. This is what scripture tells us. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The, woman said to, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. With God's said, when God says, I'm bound to you, I love you absolutely no matter what, there are no half stories. There is only redemption. There is no limited view of God. There is only a God's eye view where God says, I see what you're going through and I'm redeeming it. I'm bound to that. And so we don't have the half story of Ruth, who is a Moabite woman from an incestuous relationship, uh, from a nation with an incestuous relationship. We have uh, um, Ruth, who is no longer voiceless and helpless. That's half the story. When we get God's said, God's full story, we see Ruth, who is married, who is with child, who is secure, who has social status, who has a line 
That's God's full story. That's his said. And Naomi, what did Naomi say? What is Naomi's half story? She comes back to Israel and all the women are there. The same women that are talking to her in this passage. All the women are there and they go, Naomi, what's happened to you? And she says, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because that's really what I am. That's her half story. What do all the women say this time? And God has said, all the women say, look at you. Look at what you have. And your daughter-in-law has made your life so that you have it better than seven sons. What does that mean? It's slang. It's Jewish slang. It means you have it. You're better than perfect. That's what it means. Seven is the perfect number. Sons were your heirs. You are better than perfect. So she goes from saying, call me bitter, to now these women are saying, I'm calling you better than perfect. That is God's full story. That is chesed. That is redemption. We have Abram and Lot who say, I go to the right and you go to the left. And Abraham goes one way and all of a sudden we have this this affair that happens over here. And this affair says that these people are wrong and they're bad and they're broken. And these people will always be cursed and will always be at war. In fact, in 16 times in the book of Ruth, it tells us that Ruth was from this place, this Moab place. Why was it telling us that? Because there's a God who is sitting there going, that is just your half story. That's your half story. You're not a cursed nation. You're not a broken nation. You're not a poor nation, a bad nation. I'm pursuing you. I'm relentless with you. My hesed means that you are redeemed and you are redeemed because now Ruth, this Moabite woman, comes into the kingdom of Israel through this interracial marriage. This is how it works. This is God's hesed. It's not a half story. It's a full story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story where God says, no matter what you've done, where you've gone, where you've been, where you're going, whatever, I'm bound to you. And the reason I'm bound to you is because I walked with you and I suffered with you and I died with you. And that was just half the story because the full story is I am resurrected. And because I am resurrected, you are not limited. You are full. You are redeemed. You have a full story. So what are we supposed to do with this? Um, I want you to tell your stories. I say this a lot. Tell your stories. What do I mean by this? What do I mean by tell your story? The truth of the matter is right now in this room as we speak, there are a bunch of us who are in the middle of our half story. And there are a bunch of us who feel nameless. We feel like we're bad investments. We feel like this is our life. This is how we are. This is how we're defined. There are a bunch of us that feel this way right now, whether it be all the things I mentioned before, you know, jobs or relationships or, um, you know, just sickness or whatever it might be. That's how we feel. And there are a bunch of us in this room on the other side who have experienced God's said. We've experienced what it means to be redeemed. We've experienced what it means to feel, uh, you know, um, that, that we're not this, this limited bad investment. We've experienced that God is, is bound to us. And here's the thing. We have this vision, and this vision is to see lives and neighborhoods restored and renewed through the, through the power of Jesus Christ. And it happens when we become vulnerable enough to share with one another. I don't, but I don't want to tell somebody that I'm going through this right now. I'm really embarrassed by it. Well, what if you telling somebody allows them to say, I've been there before I can help you? Well, I don't want to tell somebody about that full story. Things are good now. I don't want to relive the past. Well, what if by you reliving the past, you help somebody else? What if it gets somebody out of their half story and into the story of God's has said? I was out uh, a couple days, uh, a couple months ago now. I was out a couple months ago, and uh, I was with two people, and I was listening to their conversation. They, they both go to this church, and they're, they're good friends. And uh, one of them says to the other, uh, he says, I'm at my wit's end. I'm done. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm despondent. My life feels like it's over. I don't think it's getting any better. 
That's what he said. And then my other friend started laughing, just laughing. And uh, I was just like, bro, why are you, like, kind of looking at him, like, why are you laughing? And he was like, oh, he's like, I, I've been there before. I've been there. He goes, hey, you feel right now like you're cut open, right? He goes, you feel like you're cut open. And my friend goes, yeah, I feel like I'm cut open. He goes, you feel like you're just gushing blood, don't you? Like, you're just bleeding. And my friend goes, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, you just feel like you're open and that, that this is it. This wound is never going to be closed up. And my friend goes, yes, that's exactly how I feel now. And he goes, listen, I'm going to tell you something. He goes, I have a scar. I have a scar. And that scar doesn't go away. It's there. It shows that I've been cut open. The scar shows that I've been bleeding. It shows that I have gone through this. But I will tell you this. That thing where I felt cut open and I was bleeding and I felt like it was never going to stop, that thing has become just a blip on my timeline. That is it. It's become nothing more than a blip in my story. And my story looks so different compared to the one when I thought I was just open and bleeding and thought it was gonna be that way forever. And he said, in this pain you feel, this cut that is open and it's deep, yeah, it's gonna be a scar, it's gonna be painful, but it is going to be a blip on your timeline, on your story. And I was like, man, you should be a pastor. (laughs) And I've cheated and I've used that advice on other people. But that's it. But that's showing said. Showing said is, is, is doing just that. It's saying to somebody else, uh, um, you know what? I've been through this, and this is not a half story. And you're not a bad investment. And you're not nameless. There is a God who has a God's eye view. And the only way we're able to redeem one another, the only way we can tell one another that is by moving one click outside of our comfort zone into vulnerability and saying, here's my, here's my pain. Here it is, I'm cut open. And for somebody else saying, here's my scar, your pain's gonna go away because there is a God who says, no matter what you do, I am bound to you. I love you. I'm in the center of this. And because you're in the center of this, this love of this has said, then, then I'm going to do more than you could ever even ask or imagine in my life. And everything else, the pain and everything else that comes with it is a footnote. It's just a commentary. It's just a half story. And you, through God's has said, because God is bound to you, will have stories, whether you believe it or not, of new light and of new redemption and especially of new resurrection. Amen. God, um, you know what? I'm going to walk out of this door today and I'm going to mess up pretty bad. And God, we're all going to walk out this door today and mess up pretty bad. And God, I am so thankful that we have your chesed, that your love, that you're bound to us through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that you've given Christ as our kinsman redeemer. I thank you that because of Christ, Lord, we know that our story is not a half story. It is not limited, God. We know that there is more to come, that there is better to come. God, give us the courage to share our pain, to share our past pain, and to share how we've been redeemed. We pray this in your name. Amen.